Alright, we got to dig in here. Um, again, my time has passed quickly. We are 2 Timothy chapter 3, a few Bibles, page 166 in the New Testament portion of that. Just going to read this morning as we've been working our way verse by verse through 2 Timothy. We've come to chapter 3, we're in verse 10. I'm going to finish the chapter today, Lord willing. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. Paul writing to his loved disciple, Timothy writes this, Now you, that is Timothy, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You remember from last week, this is a contrast from last week. Last week was chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, in which we saw the evil men that would come in and attack the church. Nineteen characteristics of these evil men who would come in and and deceive weak women weighed down with sins. They would, would be filled with sins themselves. And they would oppose the truth. And then the contrast comes here in verses 3 through 17 about Timothy, you are not to be that way. They are like this, but you are like this. You can even sense that in verse 10. Now you, Timothy, followed my teaching. Verse 14. You, however, continue in the things which you have learned and become convinced of. Verse 14 really is where the the main point of this section of Scripture is. It's the title of my message. Continue in the things which you have learned. It might even be bigger than that. As verse 14 says, You continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. In other words, Timothy, this is what the evil men are like. This is what the imposters are like. This is what the deceivers are like. But you follow a different way and you don't follow some new way, but you follow the old way that you have known before. There's nothing new here. Uh, Still the same old, same old. He's reminding him of the basics. He's reminding him of the things he's learned since a youth. He says, you continue in those things. I have three points this morning, three commands for us. It really was the, the command of, of Timothy. My first point, Paul was telling Timothy to follow me. That's what Paul was telling Timothy. You've seen my life, Timothy, so follow after it. Now, Timothy had followed Paul for much of his life. They met in Lystra when Paul was on his second missionary journey. Before Paul left town, Timothy had joined him on the way. He just met him, spent, who knows, a few days, a few weeks there in uh, Lystra. And then Timothy came and joined the Apostle Paul. And for the next 20 years at least, Timothy and Paul were, were bound together in ministry. It's a, it's a long time. From that point on, Timothy, from Acts chapter 16 where the story is told, became a lifelong disciple. And, and he learned well, by the way. Timothy learned the ways of Paul very well. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he signaled out Timothy and said, I have no one else of kindred spirit. 
says, of all the people, of all the people that I know, of all my disciples, there are none other with a kindred spirit except for this Timothy. He says that Timothy serve with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. And, and, and the idea there is that, that I, Paul was the father and Timothy came alongside as the child, the child who wants to do everything that the father does. And you know what that's about, fathers? You take out your rake, and when your children are small, when they get to be teenagers, it doesn't work so well. But when they're small, if you take out a rake, I know by experience, by the way, if you take out a rake, right, they will want to have their rake come alongside. If you take out your shovel, they're going to have a shovel coming right outside with you, right? If you're mowing the lawn, they're going to try to be out there as well. And so likewise, here it was that Timothy was trying to imitate Paul, his father figure, if you will, in doing what he's doing. In other words, Paul, Timothy had captured Paul's spirit. He'd become like Paul's offspring and he'd become a good replica of the Apostle Paul. And what Paul's doing here in verses 10 and 11 is just bringing up what Timothy had already done. He said, you followed much of my life. Then the, the command, or the, the exhortation here is basically, you've done this, continue to do it. Continue to follow me. Continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of. Well, Last week there was a list of the evil men, the deceivers that would come in the difficult times. Nineteen characteristics of the evil men. Well, today we have nine characteristics of the Apostle Paul. And in all these characteristics, Timothy had followed, but the assumption is here that Timothy should continue to follow. Right there, look at verse 10. You followed my teaching. Paul's referring to the Gospel he preached. And Timothy had embraced the Gospel. And Timothy had come to love the Gospel and he was called to continue to preach the Gospel. Timothy had embraced the glorious news of Jesus, the Messiah, coming as the completion, the fulfillment to which everything in the Old Testament spoke. He came to save sinners. Timothy embraced that as a sinner. Came to believe in Jesus. Had his life transformed. Had a different life transformed Timothy, this Gospel did. It transformed Paul. And Paul called Timothy to continue to pass it on. It was the, the teaching, the thing that, that Paul had passed on, the thing that he was teaching. It's a common theme in the book of 1 Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 13 even says, Timothy, to retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. You've heard these words from me, so retain the standard of them. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, "...the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The teaching you have heard from me, pass it on." It's going to be the main thrust of the exhortation of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 2, "...preach the Word." It's the Word that he would heard. The Gospel that he had received from Paul, he was supposed to teach it and to propagate it. Timothy, you followed my teaching. Press on. Second characteristic, you followed my teaching. You followed my conduct. But this Paul is simply referring to his manner of life. It's the way he lived. It's the way he carried himself about. And, and, and here, the idea is that Paul is contrasted and so different than the deceivers of chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. They were lovers of self. Paul was not a lover of self. In fact, he said in one point, Acts 20, verse 24, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. Basically, he says, I'm willing to die. He said, in fact, he even said that one time, I'm willing to go up to Jerusalem to die for the gospel. Paul didn't have a love of money like these people did in chapter 3, verse 2. Instead, he said to the Philippians, I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In every and any circumstances, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. 
Both are having abundance and suffering need. He says, I can do both. I, I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have a little. And I'm content in all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I'm content in that. I, I don't have this love for money. And you could go through every single one of these 19 characteristics. You could say, Paul wasn't boastful. He said, I'm not boasting of myself. I'm boasting only in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't an arrogant man. Rather, he was a humble man. He wasn't a reviler. He wasn't disobedient to his parents. He wasn't ungrateful. He wasn't unholy. He wasn't unloving. And you can just go through all those lists of things. And Paul stood in direct contrast to all these people. And he's calling Timothy, Timothy, you followed my conduct. So press on. Third characteristic. Timothy, you followed my teaching. You followed my conduct. And you followed my purpose. By this, Paul's referring to his goal in life. Over the years, Timothy had spent much time with Paul. And as he did, it became evident what Paul's main aim and goal of life was. Paul was, was blessed to have his life mission given to him by the Lord Jesus Himself. In Acts chapter 9, when Paul was on the road to Damascus, Jesus said, here's the demission, to bear the name of Christ before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. God said to Paul, you are going to bear my name. You're going to spread my name. You're going to spread my word. And Paul, that was his purpose in life. That, that he might know Christ. That he might make Him known. And he did not shrink back in any way from making Christ known. Timothy may well have been there when Paul addressed the elders, the church of Ephesus, when he told them, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying both to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I'm blameless in this. I was with you for three years, night and day, just constantly bringing forth. Didn't shrink back. Just, just put out the Gospel there. Just put out the Word of God. Even, he said, I didn't shrink from declaring you the whole purpose of God. That is starting from the Old Testament, describing the whole purpose and counsel of God, the plans of God which culminated in Christ and the saving plan that God has for us. I didn't shrink back from declaring any of that because that's not my life mission. That's my purpose. And Timothy, you know that. You followed that. And so you press on. You, Timothy, followed my teaching. You followed my conduct. You followed my purpose. Fourthly, you followed my faith. By this, Paul is referring simply to his trust in Christ. His desire to believe in Jesus and as it manifests himself just to, to live for Him. Be pleasing to Christ in all He did. Looking to the things that aren't seen rather than the things that are seen. Unlike the deceivers in the church who were worldly and were lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God and who were eminently involved in the domain of this world, Paul eminently was looking forward to what lies ahead. He was looking to the heavenly realities. In fact, he says over there in chapter 4, verse 8, in the future there's laid up for me this crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but all who have loved is appearing. Such was his belief. Such was his trust in Jesus. That he knew that there was going to be a day when Christ would award him with a crown of righteousness. That's faith. It's Paul's heart. Paul's heart was evidence of his faith. Timothy, you followed my faith. Press on. Fifthly, you followed my patience. Paul here is referring to his endurance through his trials that he faced. And he faced many of them. And he's encouraging Timothy to do the same. You remember back in chapter 2, verse 24, he talked about the Lord's bondservant. Must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach. Here it is, patient wind wronged. And uh, no more time is your patience 
tested than when you were wronged. And Paul was wronged on many occasions. He was the bearer of good news. And instead of being, being received with welcome arms, or instead of receiving, rolling out the red carpet for him, he was despised and rejected and persecuted. They ridiculed him. They beat him. They stoned him. They slandered him. They imprisoned him. And through it all, he calmly trusted the Lord, putting things in God's hands, patiently enduring it. And here he is. He's in prison, awaiting his unjust execution but he's patiently enduring it with joy. Timothy, you followed my patience, so you continue in that. You press on. Sixth characteristic. We've seen teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience. Now we come to love. Paul's just talking about his love for the brethren. He's talking about his love for other believers. Paul was a loving man. You can see it saturated all throughout this epistle about how much he loves Timothy. I mean, even the fact that he would take this time and write such a letter to Timothy shows he loved him because he cares for him. But through here, you can pull out loud and clear some some identifications of his love. Chapter 1, verse 2, To Timothy, my beloved son. It's not only my son, but it's my beloved son. My much-loved son. It's a love that Paul has for Timothy. Chapter 2, verse 1, you therefore my son. Just calling him my. It's Timothy, it's like, like you are my dear son. And what father doesn't have love for his children? Chapter 1, he speaks about longing to see you. Here I am. I'm in prison in Rome. And you're out there at Ephesus. And I just so long to have you be in my presence. Now, what is love but longing to be with your object of love? That's what it means. And Paul is saying that we're apart right now, but it's tearing up my heart because I really want to see you. And in chapter 4, verse 9, and in verse 21 also, he speaks about how I want you to come so I can see you. Please come. But Paul's reference to his love went beyond Timothy. It was a love really for all believers. And you saw, Timothy, you saw my love. And, and nowhere is this epitomized more than the beach at Miletus when he's talking with the elders of the Ephesus church. And they find out that they're not going to see him ever again. And tears flow readily and they're embracing one another and they're kissing one another because the love that they had between one another was great. Seventh, perseverance. Right there at the end of verse 10. He followed my perseverance. Let's talk about endurance. Steadfastness. He's referring to his endurance, particularly in ministry. And over and over again, Timothy either saw personally or heard of Paul's perseverance when things were difficult. When rejected by the Jews, often in churches, in synagogues rather, rejected by them, he just continued on and kept right on preaching. When stoned and left for dead, Phil read for us today, he got up and continued his ministry. In Philippi, in jail, he continued his ministry, continued singing psalms and hymns with Silas. When arrested in Jerusalem, in the moment of his arrest, he says, oh, oh, can I speak to the crowds? Rather than being just carried away, he asked to speak and he, he spoke and it got the crowds even more angry that they wanted to take him away. But he persevered, he endured in that. When in Rome as a prisoner, he's still preaching and teaching. You see at the end of Acts 28, when he's in a different imprisonment, he was in house arrest and he was teaching all the Jews. Anyone who'd come, he was teaching openly about the kingdom of God. Paul had believed that God had called him to carry his name to the Gentiles. And when the going got rough, Paul kept on going because he knew that nothing could separate him from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8.39 Timothy, you followed my perseverance, so press on. 
When we come to number eight, I want to take eight and nine together because it says persecutions and sufferings. It's really hard to distinguish between these two. He's just talking about the trials that come upon him, that came upon him at the hands of evil men who oppose the gospel. And then continuing on, we have some self-made illustrations here, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. Paul, uh, Phil read some of these persecutions of God's providence. We know about these sufferings recorded in Acts chapters 13 and 14. Paul would later meet Timothy in Acts chapter 16. But in Acts chapter 13 and 14, we see, see Paul the beginning. Paul and Barnabas and five other leaders of the church at Antioch were ministering to the Lord. They were fasting. They were pleading God. said, what direction do you want us to take? And the Holy Spirit says, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul the work I've called them to do. So Barnabas and Saul got on a boat, set sail, went uh, across the Mediterranean Sea, landed in Pisidia, and went up to a place called Antioch, which is Pisidian Antioch. And uh, he walked into a synagogue, and being a visiting rabbi, they recognized him and said, Brother, you're a rabbi. Do you have anything to say? And there in the synagogue, he got up and preached Jesus. For the first time, they hadn't heard of the name of Jesus before. And they delighted in what he'd said. The Jews were, hey, he's got something. This might be right. And so the next, they said, can you come back the next Sabbath and teach us? They said, sure. And so the next Sabbath, the Jews, it says the, almost the whole town gathered up. and saw the Jews were there and the Gentiles. And Paul wasn't pushing the Gentiles away because Paul had a message for them as well. And when the Jews saw the Gentiles came, there was racial animosity between them. And the Jews then stirred up a, a dissension and a hatred against Paul. They began to contradict Paul. They began to blasphemy. They instituted a persecution against him. And they drove him out of their district. Now, we don't know what drove him out of their district meant. But I'm guessing physical pushing, physical harm. We've got you. We're going to make sure that you get out of this district. We don't want you. That was some of the persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch. After Antioch, you can read in Acts chapter 14 of him coming to Iconium. Similar deal. Entered the synagogue, preached Jesus. Some believed in the Messiah and others didn't. And, and the hostility from the Jews arose against Paul and Barnabas. An attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews and the rulers to mistreat and stone them. Here was a threat of stoning. And so when they found out, they fled for their lives out of Iconium. And they went to Lystra. Now at Lystra, they had a measure of success. The Jews... I mean, these people received things really gladly, but they started worshiping Paul and Barnabas, Hermes and Zeus. And Paul said, no, 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 that's not it. But when the, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium heard that he'd gone to Lystra, they brought the persecution there again. And not only did they just try to stone Paul, they actually did stone Paul. This means they took stones and they threw them at him and pelted him until he was down and not moving and they left him for dead. That's the sort of persecutions and sufferings that happened to him. By God's grace, he was rejuvenated, went up, returned to Lystra for a night, and then he went on to Derby. And these aren't pleasant persecutions. Timothy knew full well about them. He was experiencing some of them, but Paul was right up front and honest with Timothy. He said, these sorts of things come upon all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. In fact, that's the promise here in verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So the persecutions and sufferings which are happening to me, which Timothy, you saw, you followed, you've observed, I want to keep you pressing on, that is the lot for anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus. And that's been Paul's message all the time. In fact, when he went to Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and then he went to Derby, he was there for a while, 
And then on his way back, he went to Derby and then Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. And on the way back, in Acts chapter 14, near the end of the chapter, it says that he was strengthening the souls of the disciples because he had disciples in each of those cities. He was encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God. Early church is saying, hey, it's going to be hard. It's going to be rough. Yeah, I was stoned, but that's, that's par for the course. That's how it is. Through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. It's almost exactly what verse 12 says. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Verse 12 is one of those promises in the Bible that none of us want. You know, Christian publishers know what sells. I have a, a book here called Bible Prayers and Promises. It's a nice little book that was given to me as a gift and I've kept it on my shelf for an occasion such as this. Um, it's a book that's filled with prayers. It's a book that's filled with promises. And you can look right here at the table of contents. It's got all the, the promises. Let me just read some of these promises to you. These are like the, the sections. And so for each one, there are a couple pages of these promises. God's promise of love. God's promise of forgiveness. God's promise of salvation. God's promise to guide you. God's promise to protect you. God's promise when you are impatient. God's promise when you are confused. God's promise when you are, are tempted. I searched in vain for 2 Timothy 3.12. God's promise that you will be persecuted. That doesn't sell many books. It's not here. Now, to be fair, there are a couple things. God's promise when you are persecuted and God's promise when you suffer. So it does speak about that, but, but these promises in the persecution and the suffering are all like good things. Oh, God's going to take care of you. God, and, and the sense is here is that it's kind of like if you're persecuted, if, if, if you happen to find yourself in this situation, here's what to look to and encouragement in that. But it didn't mention this verse. It doesn't contain the promise that you will be persecuted. But Paul says right here, front and center, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Just goes right with the, the flow of, of 2 Timothy, right? Uh, the, the hardship that he is enduring. Um, endure hardship, he's going to say in chapter 4, verse 5. You be sober in all things. Endure hardship. It's right there. He gave the illustrations. Right? In chapter 2, right at the beginning, be strong in the graces in Christ Jesus. Suffer with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 2. Right? Press on. Join with me in suffering for the Gospel according to the power of God. Chapter 1, verse 8. It's just all about the difficulties of the Christian life, the difficulties of the Christian ministry. You will be persecuted. Expect it. Don't be surprised when it comes. Peter said, don't be surprised the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing. It's what we ought to expect. Timothy, you followed it, so keep following it. Continue on. Fight the fight. Finish the course. Press on. Verse 13, I think, fits there in there like this. You think you've got it bad? <laughs> it might get worse, Timothy. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's a reference back to chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And it just says that the evil men, the impostors, the deceivers, they, they are bad right now to be sure. But it may well be that they're worse and the persecution comes upon you even in a worse degree than was before. 
So don't find your comfort in the fact that, ooh, I went through the toughest part of it, now it's going to be easy on the back end. No, you went through the rough part of it and it just might get worse coming up. He's not painting a, a pretty picture here. Now to be fair, Paul does give comfort. Even right here. I skipped a phrase. I'm not sure if you saw that. Anyone notice I skipped a phrase? Maybe you're not paying attention. I skipped a phrase. Verse 11. What persecutions I endured. Here it is. And out of them all, the Lord rescued me. There is promise of rescue even in the midst of the persecutions that come. No temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with that temptation, will provide a way of escape that you will be able to endure it. So Paul is saying, he says, I went through this temptation, I went through this trial, I went through this struggle, but out of them all, the Lord rescued me. And I think maybe he's referring to the fact that when he was in Lystra and when he was dead, God rescued him and brought him up. Notice it doesn't mean that God rescued him and prohibited the stoning. It means that God protected him and kept him alive. Paul, by the way, also knows this. Chapter 4, verse 16. Look at this. Then my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Here was Paul, his trial, the world was against him, and nobody showed up to help him except the Lord. Verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. And here's, here's what Paul said. He said, God rescued me because i got this greater purpose in my life. The Gentiles need to hear. And I need to live so the Gentiles need to hear. And that's why God preserved his life because God had a purpose for him to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. And again, he has promised for the future. Not only was it in the past, verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There's the comfort. Yes, everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, but also everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will have the sovereignty of God, the Lord who will come and rescue and help. Amen? Amen. Well, let's continue on. Timothy, follow me. That's what he's saying. Secondly, follow your teachers. 14 and 15. You, however, here's a, and again, you, however, Timothy, you continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. That's the whole thrust of this text, right? Everything that you've learned, everything that you've known, that you become convinced of, that you've followed already, just keep going on that trajectory. Knowing from whom you've learned them. There's the key. And that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus there it is. Follow your teachers. Not only follow me, but follow those who taught you. At this point, Paul brings Timothy back to the time he was a little child. And by the way, parents, when children are little, it's a time when convictions begin. He learned the sacred writings. Verse 14. Actually, verse 15. The word for the Old Testament. He learned them. And you become convinced of them. And he's saying, continue on because know whom you've learned them from. You've got a good example of those who you learned them from. And he talks about being a little child. He talks about learning them from his parents, particularly from his mother, from his grandmother, which we'll see in a little bit. But in ancient Jewish culture, the Scriptures were front and center in the educational process. Probably because they didn't have a lot of other books. 
You know, they didn't have a, a plethora of the internet, didn't have all these other science tech. They, they made the Bible their textbook, much like the early American settlers, to, to read and write. You read and wrote the Bible. That's why they're so much more mightier in the Scriptures than we are today. With all our study stools and things, they knew the Bible very, very well. It's their only textbook in many ways. But the Jews took seriously God's call to them in Deuteronomy 6, called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words shall I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead, foreheads. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on all your gates. God's Word should be in your heart. And it should be in your heart, it should be on your hands, it should be on your head, it should be on the gates, it should be on the walls, it should be on your doorposts, it should be around the Bible and the saturated, the law of God ought to be totally around you. You ought to know it. And the ancient Jews took the Scriptures and they took these things literally. They made phylacteries, put little Bible verses in their hands. They kind of missed the point a little bit, but they were serious about this. right? They, they wore these big boxes on their foreheads because they wanted to have it on their foreheads. They have mezuzahs, even to this day, on, on uh, door frames of houses just to remind them of, of God's Word. But most important was this command from Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, to place them on your heart. Let God's Word be on your heart so that you might teach them diligently to your children. And the idea is that if it's on your heart, it ought to overflow then to your children. It ought to overflow in the manner of your life as you teach the Word of God. Notice that it's not so much a curriculum they're going through. Rather, it's their teaching in everyday life. It's there when you sit in your house... Right? When you're just sitting there at the dinner table, it's the overflow of what you learn and what you know. When you're walking by the way, right? or for us, when you're driving in your car, you're talking about God's Word, you're teaching them, hey, look at that, or what about this? Right? When you lay them down to bed at night, you're talking to them about God's Word. When they get up in the morning, you're talking to their children about God's Word. And you've got to see that the impact here, it's just whatever's in the heart is coming out and you're talking to your kids. And I just say that's true of you guys talking to someone recently about sports radio and how they just talk on and on and on and on and on 24 hours a day about sports and the Bears and the Packers and the, this and that and then it's going to drift into the baseball season the World Series and it's going to drift into basketball season if there's a basketball season it's going to drift into hockey and it's going to drift back again and any kind of you know from managers to salaries to statistics to prognosis to review to game all, all this stuff and they just talk about it you know my friend said I don't know how they do it you know how they do it? Sports is in their heart. And if you say, I don't know how just to talk about God's Word all day, every day with my kids and how to filter things through life through the Bible, I say, the problem is it's not on your heart. Put God's Word on your heart and then it will flow out to be able to talk with your kids. And that's the mode of learning that the Jewish, ancient Jewish culture had. It was in their heart. It wasn't just facts they had to learn. It was a lot of just modeling uh, modeling the heart of God in all circumstances just before your kids, your kids might learn that. So parents, you're teaching your kids this way. I'm not talking about do you have a Bible curriculum or are you sending them to Christian school. I'm talking about uh, is God's Word in your heart that it just overflows on a daily basis to teach your kids. That's what happened with Timothy. 
In fact, Timothy's education took place with his mother and his grandmother. Back in chapter 1, we learn of the women in his life. Chapter 1, verse 5, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, Timothy. It's first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. I'm sure that Paul's talking about the fact that here's the faith passed on from a a grandmother to a mother, and now it's passed on then to you. And I think that's the path that it passed on. Everything we know about his father, his father was a Greek. Um, probably man, he was an unbeliever. Timothy wasn't circumcised, so in other words, the, uh, Timothy's father wasn't submitting himself to God's law. It's probably because he was an unbeliever. But it came down through the motherly line of Eunice and Lois. She was teaching them. He got taught the, the Word of God. Single moms, be encouraged. Parents, be exhorted. The crucial role you play in the life of your your, your children. Notice here, even how it says in verse 15, that his convictions arose from childhood. That's from the time which he was a, a small child. Maybe even infancy. Maybe just learning to talk is when his convictions began. And I just say this, parents, it's important... For your children to gain their convictions when they're young. The great evangelist D.L. Moody once preached at evening service and he was asked, well, how many converts did you have last night, Mr. Moody? He said, I had two and a half last night. He said, oh, two and a half converts. So two adults and one child, huh? He said, no. One adult and two children. He went on to explain that a child converted is a whole life converted but an adult converted is only half a life converted. Two and a half. Two children and an adult. And I just say, especially you children now, okay, parents, you're, you're off the hook a little bit. I'm talking to you children now. That would, be, that would be you and you and you and you and you and you back there, all, all of you. I could name many of you, most of you. I struggle with some of you, but I know I'd get your names. Um, I'm glad we have so many children here. We had some visitors last week. They had an infant child, three-month-old child, five-month-old child. I can't remember. <laughs> I, had an argument. I, think she's, he's, I think he's three months old. She thinks he's five months old. Anyway, uh, I talked to them afterwards. They said, I've never been to a church with so many kids before. In fact, they said, I think that our, our child fits in better here at the church than we do. Here's <laughs> what. So I'm thrilled that there are children here. Children, I love that you're in the service with us. Gage, I love you're in the service here learning all this stuff. I love the brightness that your kids bring to the church. I love your eagerness to learn. I love how you're on good trajectories now. Your happiness to be here at the church. You have opportunities, kids, to gain convictions. KB, do you know that? You have an opportunity to gain convictions in what you're going to believe you keep them through the rest of your life. Convictions against a child will pay untold dividends when you get older. And I just say, kids, are you becoming convinced of the matters of Scripture? Are you becoming convinced of the matters of the Scripture? Rachel, are you becoming convinced of the matters of the Scripture? Oliver, are you becoming convinced of the matters of the Scripture? It's going to have an impact, kids, as years go on. 
My message is entitled, right? Continue in the things that you have learned. Timothy learned them when he was young and you need to learn them when you are young as well so that you continue and, and grow as you grow older. Because I know kids, Asher and Ephraim, I know when you get older, temptations are going to come. Temptations will come from all different sorts of ways. Your parents may begin to put some restrictions on your life that you don't really like, Emily. Parents may put some restrictions on your life you don't really like. You want to be out a little bit later than they say you've got to be back. Or it may be that you become interested in other things rather than supremely interested in Jesus. You become interested in your, in your, in your baseball or in your acting or in your music or in your activity. Whatever it is, that becomes all-consuming. And you, or it may be your popularity, kids. Kendra, it might be that you would just want to be popular among kids. Or Gracie. And, and that will be a temptation to be popular rather than godly. Because popularity and godliness don't really go together oftentimes. Anyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will be popular. <laughs> I'm persecuted. I just say be convinced of these things. Um, a, a book at some point I'm going to take some kids through is, is this book here called Growing Up Christian. It talks about the particular trials that... Uh, the kids have in terms of growing up in a Christian church environment. Uh, some good things and perspectives really to get in the kids now to think about, okay, when I, when I have faced a situation, how am I going to face it? And I know Krissa and SR, we've had lots of conversations about that, right? About what life's going to be like when you're out there and when you have choices. And you're starting to make choices more and more, right? I mean, I, these guys have been involved in... Uh, Theatrical production, they're not acting, but they're helping with all the sound and things like that. It's been a great opportunity for them. But they're like, welcome back home. <laughs> we'll see you tonight is really what it's going to be. And we, you know, our family went five different ways yesterday. As uh, Hannah was gone at the Reeds and I was gone at a football game and Yvonne was gone at a haircut and these guys were gone at a, um, this theater thing. Four different ways, five different ways. One, two, three, four. I don't know. I'm just telling you, the, the, the older your kids get, all right, the more complicated life gets, and you're going to see them less and less. So get them now and talk to them about that day when, when convictions or when temptations are going to come. That's what I've been doing with my kids and just helping adjust that so, so when it comes, we can put it right. J.C. Rowell wrote a good word. He says, I ask the children of religious parents to mark well what I'm saying. That's all of you kids, Conrad. That's you, all right? Children of religious parents. J.C. Rowell says this, It's the highest privilege to be the child of a godly father and mother and to be brought up in the midst of many prayers. It is a blessed thing indeed to be taught the Gospel from our earliest infancy and to hear of sin and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and holiness and heaven from the first moment that we can remember anything. But oh, take heed that you do not remain barren and unfruitful in the sunshine of all these privileges. Beware lest your hearts remain hard, impenitent and worldly, notwithstanding the many advantages that you now enjoy. You cannot enter the kingdom of God on the credit of your parents' religion. You must eat the bread of life for yourself and have the witness of the Spirit in your own heart. You must have repentance of your own, faith of your own, and sanctification of your own. That's what J.C. Ralph said. Good stuff. 
And so children, I would encourage you to be convinced of these things. And so, follow your teachers. First and foremost, your parents are your teachers, kids. Now, your parents also can just think about who, who's taught you. Maybe there's some religious people in your life. Maybe there's a key influential man that you knew from church who spent a lot of time with you. Maybe there's some key men you sat under and been discipled by. I just want you to remember the, the people who have been a key impact in your life for the good who have taught you and would encourage all of you to follow in that way as well. Paul was one of Timothy's teachers and his whole premise back in chapter 3, verse 10. Right? You followed my teaching. I've taught you, so continue in that teaching. And here it is, verse 14 and 15. You followed in my, my teaching. I've taught you. So continue in those ways. Parents, Sunday school teachers, others. If you have opportunities, the older you live, the more you're out, kids, you're going to have more and more spiritual influences in your life. Choose good ones and then follow after them. Well, I've got one final point, and I'm. Phew. These are like some of the most precious verses in all of Scripture. Verses 16 and 17. I, um, I'm just praying right now. Uh, let, me just, let, me, let me just comment briefly. Next week, I'll, I'll attack them more strongly, is what I'll do. I really thought I'd finish today, but I'm not going to. My third point is this. Not only follow me, not only follow your teachers, but follow the Scriptures. Um, Paul was a reliable guide. Your teachers were reliable guides. And the Scriptures are reliable guides as well. The sacred writings, verse 15, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. We see here scriptures mentioned twice. The sacred writings come in verse 15, and scripture comes here in verse 16. And I'll just say that it's you need to follow those things. The, the sacred writings are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation, which is through faith in Christ Jesus. What he's saying there is he's clearly talking there about the Old Testament. It's the sacred writings that Timothy grew up on. When he grew up, he grew up, if you will, B.C. We don't know exactly when he was born, but maybe he was born 20 A.D., 25 A.D. He was just a little guy, probably alive when Jesus was crucified. Some of this conjecture, we don't know exactly when. But, young, but the Scriptures, all they had was the Old Testament. And that's all that Timothy learned. And Paul said the Old Testament is good enough. The Old Testament teaches you the holiness of God. It teaches you of your sinfulness. It teaches you of your need for a Savior to come. And it teaches you that you need to call upon the Lord in a day when He must be found. Now, the full details don't come until the New Testament. But the Old Testament has enough there to teach you. Paul said in Galatians 3.24 that the laws become our tutor to lead us to Christ. In other words, if you understand the Old Testament, the sacred writings well enough, they will be able to give you enough wisdom and enough understanding that then will lead you to your need for a Savior. You'll be looking for a Savior. You'll find that that Savior is Jesus and through faith in Him. Timothy, the Scriptures are a worthy guide, so follow them. I'll just leave verses 16 and 17 for next week. They are, they are awesome verses. They are, are great, great verses. We'll tackle them next time. But my, my point stands well enough. Right? Learn the Bible. Learn the Scriptures. The Scriptures are a guide. 
They are a good guide. You know, the Internet has a lot of stuff out there. You can pull some documents off the Internet which aren't true, which aren't right. This is right every time. Look to the Bible. Let the Bible be your guide. Now let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the examples in our life. As Timothy was privileged to have the Apostle Paul be the example in his life, we've had many examples. Godly parents, many of us have had. Godly teachers, many of us have had. Godly friends, many of us have had. Godly spiritual leaders, which many of us have had. And most of all, O Lord, You've given us the Scriptures. I pray, O Lord, that we would know what what it is, the treasure that we hold in our hands. And so often we can just let it collect dust. But God, it is our life. It is our our guide. It does lead us to Jesus. The general revelation tells us about You, that You are a Creator, that You are a Sovereign Judge, but tells nothing of a Savior. The, the second book, the Bible, God tells us of our Savior. And we pray, O oh Lord, that we would follow the Scriptures every way, every day, trusting in them that they have the true words to eternal life. So build these things into us, God. When when we lack and when we falter, when we doubt, God, bring us back to the authenticity, the, the veracity of Your Word. It is true, every bit of it. Even as Jesus said, not one jot or tittle, not one I, the dot, not one cross of a T will pass away until all is accomplished. God, we can take these words and run to the bank. I pray that we would follow them and that we would be different than the deceivers of the church who come in to destroy. Maybe those who help and encourage and lift up and strengthen. We are thankful for You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.